I'm Austin. I'm Bridget. And I'm Lauren. And this is Tipsy Ghouls, a podcast that searches your neck of the woods for the stories that keep you up at night about true crime, conspiracies, and you guessed it, ghosts. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi, I just heard. I came as soon as I heard. <laughs> I came as soon as I heard. Uh, welcome Hi. to Rhode Island. Welcome. The smallest state. Truly. I am honestly shocked that I found anything for this state. Like, I kind of had to search for something. Wow, when I found my topic, though. I latched right on it. Yeah. And I was like, but that's it? I also learned that Providence, Rhode Island... I think I said this on the last episode is like actually crazy dangerous. Like, really? Is it really? It's really bad. Yeah. Man. That's where everyone goes to party. Really? That's why it's dangerous. Probably because the drugs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do drugs, not hard ones. <laughs> I meant to look up how long it would take to drive across the state, and I didn't look it up. Well, I've got news for you. I have how many miles it is, oh. so. Perfect. Just do some quick math. Some quick uh, rate times time equals distance. Mm, No. Well, I will not be doing that. Someone else can do that. (laughs) I'm not doing math. Yeah, I'm not doing math. Uh, Welcome to Rhode Island. Hi. Yeah. We love your chickens. (laughs) They're famous for Rhode Island Reds. Oh. They have like a big chicken statue somewhere in Rhode Island for them. Oh, yeah. Them in Delaware. What is it with chickens? I don't fucking know. Chickens, man. Weird. Chickens in fake states. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't For know. I don't, Rhode Island's not a fake state, but Delaware is. <laughs> yeah, Delaware's not real. Do you guys want to hear some other fun facts day. about Rhode Island? Sure. Because I've do. got them. Great. Rhode Island is Great. the smallest <laughs> state in size in the United States. It covers an area of 1,214 square miles. Its distance north to south is 48 miles, and its distance east to west is 37 miles. Wow. So it would literally take like half an hour. Yeah. Literally. If you're driving yeah. 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Damn, yep. that's crazy. That's wild. I did not realize it was that small. I was picturing like it's three It's tiny. Hours. Rhode Island was the last of the original 13 colonies to become a state. There it is. Uh, the state was home to the first golf tournament. The event cur- occurred in 1895. I don't golf. I don't think any of us have ever golfed before, but there you go. I've golfed. You've golfed? I've oh, mini golfed. Cool. I mostly just got drunk. Yeah, I was mm, going to say, I just the wanted to get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> On a field. The first Basically. circus <laughs> in the United States was in Newport, Rhode Island in 1774. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And now they're trying to create robotic animals to take all the animals completely out of circuses, which is a good idea. I mean, I think animals That's are out of circuses now. a good idea. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. New. This is one that I really liked. New England's oldest Masonic temple in Warren was built in the 18th century from timbers from the British frigate frigates sunk in Newport Harbor during the Revolutionary War. That's cool. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. The history that nerd in me cool. really ate yeah. that one up. 
That's really cool. I did see a And my bit. last one. Oh, sorry. I have a question. Arguably. Oh, sorry. Wait. What? Oh, sorry. I have, a, I have a question about that one. You have a question? Oh, sorry. Fuck. Um, I was <laughs> sorry. <laughs> During my research, I found something about like the people of Rhode Island sunk one of the British ships like way before the actual like Boston Tea Party. And that's like they celebrate it every year. Is it that one? Do you um, I don't think so because that was a separate fun fact that I didn't include because okay. I didn't want to overload everyone. Okay, that's fine. I was just curious. Um, but they did. They were the first state or colony to sink a British ship. Hell yeah! Yeah. Nice. And my last fun fact, Loss. arguably the biggest thing about Rhode Island, Rhode Island's full official name is Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, and it's the longest state name in the United States. Wow. That is long and unnecessary. Yeah. Very unnecessary. I have a few fun facts that I collected while researching. Okay. Um, the original or the official drink of Rhode Island is called coffee milk, and they take coffee-flavored syrup and put it in milk, like chocolate milk, but it's like coffee-flavored. It looks kind of good. But there's no, like, caffeine to it or anything? Yeah, I don't know if there's caffeine in the syrup. But it looks just That's like interesting. And in 2016, um, the first yoga pants parade happened um, in Rhode Island. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Wow. It was, like, some news. They sound incredibly <laughs> progressive. I love them. I some, like, newspaper or something, like, called to the like end of yoga pants like saying they had to go away so they just did Ew. a parade <laughs> <laughs> little did they know yeah. <laughs> like well now we're never taking them off <laughs> wow i love that yeah. i love rhode island yeah. i'd love to go there yeah it sounds fun these tiny states are the ones that i want to move to i know i know they sound so cool they probably don't want us they have a good thing going for them <laughs> they probably have like really pretty beaches yeah. yeah, I always forget there's beaches on those states. You know what else is really pretty? What? <laughs> Alcohol. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm I'm not drinking again tonight because I just had a hot fudge Sunday. So oh, <laughs> I feel <better>. like <laughs> alcohol plus ice cream is not good. Yeah, no, not it. But you're just chocolate wasted from your hot True. fudge Sunday. <laughs> and it was very good. It was delicious that sounds so good beach what are you drinking tonight i am going back to the summer classics spaghetti i'm trying to use all the aperol <laughs> every in my week fridge. yes <laughs> so another spaghetti another spaghetti. another spaghetti another no one sleep. Another no sleep another <laughs> <laughs> yes i got a 24 pack of uh or whatever I, a large pack of uh miller high life so i'm trying to get through it so Bust them out. Yes. Should just delicious. chug them. I know. I should <laughs> just come on here next week. Just blasted. Absolutely <laughs> hammered. <laughs> Remember that one time that I did do that at the beginning and it didn't go well. Yes. So <laughs> I yeah. think we should learn from that lesson. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we can. That can be one of our milking oh, it episodes. Shoot. Just like get drunk and see how much just we can absolutely do. off our rockers. Yeah. I'm here for that. That sounds fun. Let's. This is our bonus extra drunk episode. (laughs) That could be when I'm home. (laughs) We can we we can break the rule (laughs) that we weren't going to do any work while I'm home to do that. Yes. (laughs) 
We don't even talk about spooky stuff. It's just us. We just sit there us. drunk. We can just do a drunk somebody <laughs> spook me. That would be fun. Perfect. Perfect. Done. Yeah. Another episode. Yes. Iconic. <laughs> Another, one. Another one. Another one. Club. Another club. <laughs> no sleep. <laughs> um, Austin, what are you sipping on over there? Some well, wine? I, yeah, I am. I'm drinking some wine. I wasn't planning on it, but I'm drinking some California Roots. Some Ooh. red. Yeah. yeah red California Roots red, baby. You love that Target wine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the friend that I'm house-sitting for, she was like, I have this bottle of wine, and I didn't like it. And I was like, well, all right, all right. <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> Twist my arm. Just doing a favor, really. You're just helping out a friend. You really are. What a good friend I, I you are. I love helping out a friend. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, it's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Pretty quick into our stories. A nine. That's I what know. People want. Wow. That's what us. the people want. If you miss our talking, we did a Somebody Spook Me that we posted last week. Yes. On the same day. So we don't, we're out of stories. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But <clears throat> let's get into the spooky stories. So obviously Rhode Island is what we're talking about. Yes. Conspiracy. <laughs> is that first? I'm just stalling while I pull my story. Rhode Island. Did you know um, that Rhode Island is a state? And it's Spiracy. the one we're talking about. <laughs> For once, it's a state. Yes. And today I'm talking about today, Rhode Island. My name is Rhode Bridget. Island, the state. What was that little kid? And he was like, and then in the, and then I did, or whatever that kid said. When you, when, when you, when, when, (laughs) and when you, when, and, and when you, and, 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 and when you. Do you ever have a dream where you, you, and you. (laughs) (laughs) Another tangent real quick. Have you seen the TikTok sound? It's like, when you, when you, when, when, have you seen that one? No. no. Okay, never mind. It's fine. No, Take just me. No, just me. Okay. It's not embarrassing at all. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not crushed inside. Okay. <coughs> oh, one oh thing I forgot God. to tell you guys. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> you just coughed directly into the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't think it was going to come. Oh, my God. This spike on that. I didn't think it was going to come out like that. Um, I just got so excited. Um, I'm on Sebastian Stan TikTok. Sebastian Stan. We'll never I love, be leaving. I love Bucky Barnes. Bucky, the Winter Soldier. Oh, mm. oh, yes. And he's playing Tommy Lee in a new Hulu series. Mm. Oh, so he is. Hot. I watch that. He's so hot, and I'm on Sebastian Stan TikTok right now, so Sounds that's where wonderful. I'll be staying. Thank you. <laughs> that's I just had to tell you guys that. Your final form. The, yes. the end of your TikTok um, evolution. She just yes. doesn't get on TikTok ever again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that one TikTok to be the last one, and I'm like, that satisfied me. That was it. Now I'm done. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Thank you, TikTok. All right, so Rhode Island. Did <laughs> 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 you know it's a state? And it has Did you know it's a tiny state with a long name? It's very tiny and very spooky. And it has a conspiracy. Yes. <clears throat> so, mm. we've all heard about the satanic panic, which is still going on. Very fun. But have you heard of the Great New England Vampire Panic? 
It's no. It's, uh, good. Tell us about I'm it. I'm glad you have it because if you did, the story wouldn't be very exciting. But <laughs> it is good. Okay. So there was a fear that gripped the colonial communities for much of the 1700s and 1800s. And as the name suggests, this panic swept the New England area, including Rhode Island. That was actually one of the states that it was really bad in. Um, and they actually have the most famous and well-documented story of vampire panic and the outcome. But before we get into that, let's dive deeper into what people really believed about vampires back then. So a lot of my um, story is based off the research of Michael Bell. He's a folklorist. He's actually from Rhode Island and has devoted the past 30 years of his career to studying this local phenomenon. He has even taught at Brown University and enjoys when people have fun learning about his story of vampires. He states, vampires have gone as a source of fear to a source of entertainment. Maybe I shouldn't trivialize entertainment, but to me, it's not anywhere as interesting as to what really happened. In these times... Every little thing. (laughs) In these times, little little was understood about diseases. Um, especially infectious diseases. And those scholars today still struggle to understand the vampire panics across small communities in New England. A key detail unites them. The public's hysteria almost invariably occurred in the midst of savage tuberculosis outbreaks, which back then was called consumption. And yes, so usually once a family member got sick with consumption, it magically seemed to spread to the entire family. What? Um, but we know that that's just because it's highly contagious. Um, but it was also a very slow progressing disease, and it literally looked like you had like the life sucked out of you over the like two years. So that I think that's kind of like what people were thinking. It seemed like literally your spirit was being like taken by something. Hmm. Um. So. We know now that obviously it was spreading to these families because it's highly contagious. But back then, the survivors of their surrounding community would blame one of the early victims within the family of being a vampire. So it was believed that the family member who was dead would prey on the remaining family members until the entire family was wiped out. So that's why they thought that the rest of the family would die. So the fear was that the vampire would continue killing the community until they were taken care of. And how do they do this? How do they take care of them? Well, um, if you have a queasy stomach or you're listening to this while you're eating, you might want to skip the rest of the story. (laughs) Um, The belief back then was that if you had a vampire, you had to exhume their body and do one of a multitude of rituals to kill the undead individual. Some communities in Maine and Plymouth, Massachusetts, opted to simply flip the person over face down in their grave but in Connecticut and Rhode Island and Vermont, they would frequently dig out the person's heart and liver, burn them, and either inhale the smoke as a cure um, and some other things. And then some groups would behead. That's disgusting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> inhale dead people smoke. Yeah. It- Yes, Gross. as like the cure. So like the person that was dying of tuberculosis had to go inhale the smoke of Ew. a burning That's relative. That's so gross. Yeah, I know. That's disgusting. Um, and some uh, 
groups actually beheaded the vampire corpses while others bound their feet with thorns and many other things. There's lots of stories of people finding colonial grave sites because they were unmarked and kind of shallow. And there was one story in Connecticut where they found a, like all the, the uh, caskets were just regular wood and then they found one that was red and they opened it up and like their bones were in like a skull and crossbones like they had like dug them up and like rearranged their bones Ew, weird. <laughs> Holy shit. they thought they were a vampire and they were like coming oh. yeah so they're still like being still being found oh. um let's see <clears throat> so often these rituals were lantern lit affairs but particularly in Vermont, they could be quite public, even festive. One vampire heart was reportedly torched on the Woodstock, Vermont, town green in 1830. In Manchester, hundreds of people flocked to a 1793 heart-burning ceremony at a blacksmith's forge. Account of early town history reads, Timothy Mead officiated at the altar in the sacrifice to the demon vampire, who it was believed was still sucking the blood of the then-living wife, of Captain Burton. It was the month of February and it was a good slaying. <laughs> so just casual news. <laughs> ah, just in the newspaper. Good slaying. Yeah. yeah. So this was just really like a regular thing. <laughs> so Bell, the researcher, wants to go beyond the folklore of the vampire panic and really understand who these people were. And it obviously gets very sad um, because a lot of, uh, usually the accusers were direct family members of the deceased. So parents, spouses, and their children. And he wrote, think about what it would have been like to actually exhume the body of a relative. Just really sad. And even accuse them. Uh, But the tale... That is sad. I know. The tale he always tells in his talks returns to the quintessential American vampire story. One of the last cases in New England. And the first he actually investigated as a new PhD, PhD student coming to Rhode Island in 1981 history knows the 19 year old vampire as mercy brown but her family actually called her lena mercy lena brown lived in exeter exeter i think it's exeter rhode island in the 1890s though robert kosh had identified the tuberculosis bacteria in 1882 news of the discovery did not reach rural areas for some time And even if it had, drug treatments wouldn't have become available until the 1940s. In the year Lena died, one physician blamed tuberculosis on drunkenness and want among the poor. So you were just poor and drunk. What? Yeah. And since it was Hmm. like such, such a slow disease too, like almost, I, if I was back in that time, I wouldn't think it was something I caught, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, in 19th century cures included drinking brown sugar dissolved in water, as well as frequent horseback riding. (laughs) Shake it out. So that. (laughs) That's interesting. So uh, Bell wrote, if they were being honest, then the medical establishment would have just said, there's nothing we can do. And it's in the hands of God. So they were just like trying to Hmm. come up with anything. (laughs) Like make them drink toy. brown sugar and go ride a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Prescription okay. is horseback riding. So the Brown family living on the eastern edge of town, probably on a modest homestead of 30 or 40 stony acres, began to succumb to the disease in December of 1882. 
Lena's mother, Mary Eliza, was the first. And then Lena's sister, Mary Olive, a 20-year-old dressmaker, died the next year. A tender obituary from a local newspaper hints at what she endured. The last few hours she lived was of great suffering, yet her faith was firm and she was ready for the change. And the whole town turned out for her funeral. So that's Mm. Lena's sister. Within a few years, Lena's brother, Edwin, got tuberculosis too. And he actually left for Colorado Springs to a sanitarium, hoping that the climate would improve his health. So after he was gone, Lena, who was a child when her mother and sister died, didn't fall ill until nearly a decade after those two died. Her tuberculosis was the galloping kind, as they said, which meant that she might have been infected but remained asymptomatic for years, only to fade fast after showing the first signs of the disease. A doctor tended to her in her final hours and informed her father that further medical aid was useless. Her January 1892 obituary was much simpler and sparser than her sister's. It just read, Miss Lena Brown, who had been suffering from consumption, died Sunday morning. And as Lena was on her deathbed, her brother, Edwin, after a brief brief remission, had taken a turn for the worse. Edwin had returned from Exeter, returned to Exeter from the Colorado Springs Sanitarium in a dying condition, according to one account. A local newspaper wrote, If good wishes and prayers of his many friends could be realized, friend Eddie would speedily be restored to perfect health. So it seemed like almost everyone in their family was like dearly loved except for lena for some reason <laughs> hmm. like when she died no one really cared That's it seemed shitty. like i know at least that the way that bell wrote it um <clears throat> but some neighbors likely fearful for their own health weren't content with prayers several approached george brown the children's father and offered an alternative take on the recent tragedies perhaps an unseen diabolical force was preying on his family. It could be that one of the three brown women wasn't dead after all, instead secretly feasting on the living tissue and blood of Edwin. As the Providence Journal later summarized, maybe if the vampire of the family was found and destroyed, then Edwin would recover. So I, I believe the Providence Journal is the like newspaper that captured all of this and how we have such a good count of the story. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so it was like around back then. The neighbors asked to exhume the bodies in order to check for fresh blood in their heart, which was apparently the sign of a vampire. George, the father of the family, agreed, but didn't want to attend himself, for obvious reasons. And on the morning of March 17, 1892, a party of men dug up all three bodies, as the family doctor and a newspaper correspondent for the Providence Journal looked on. Lena's mother and sister who had been dead for like 10 years at this point, were decayed to an expected point. I think they were just bones. But Lena had only been dead for two months. Not to mention, she died in the winter, and her grave was an above-ground crypt. So this led to her being fairly well-preserved, and she even still had fresh blood in her heart, a clear sign to them that she was the vampire, and she had been the cause of her brother's rapidly decreasing condition. Of course. Yes. Not just that she had barely been dead. She must be a vampire. Duh. Yeah. So the group decided right then um, 
to burn her heart and her liver, thereby killing her. And uh, this is where it gets a little more disturbing. So apparently in order to cure her brother, they believed that he had to consume the ashes of her heart and liver. So they mixed it with water and he drank them. Oh, God. I know. That's so gross. That's disgusting. I know. And to no surprise, he died like two months later. Of course he did. Yeah. So, yeah. And Lena is famous, like I said, for being one of the last vampires to be exhumed. Science was flourishing at this time, and much more was learned about medical care. And Lena's story ended up traveling all over the world because of the Providence Journal correspondent who was president present at her being exhumed and her story was kind of made out to be an example of what not to do and to teach even those in rural communities that their family wasn't dying because of vampires they were just contracting an infectious disease from each other so that was kind of like the last time that we know of that that actually happened and obviously the most famous because everyone was like why are we still doing this (laughs) it's been like 200 years we know that's not why they're dying but um, yeah, she is like the one of the most famous vampire panic stories and uh, very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it is. But that's just so like interesting back when science like wasn't really not to say it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really, really thing, science. But like, <laughs> yeah, but it was yeah. So like people like just when the like in this day and age, you can have information at the tip of your fingertips like it didn't get around to these rural er- rural rural areas mm-hmm. jesus and uh, so they just were like oh yeah that makes sense to just eat these ashes really quick yeah and like a perfect example of people just m- making conclusions based on like correlation like oh everyone in the family died there must be a curse or something not like they probably gave each other an infectious disease like there was just no concept nah. of like you should and like even her brother who traveled across the country to like go somewhere where there's a bunch of other sick people like a sanatorium like yeah let's get a bunch of infected people together in one place with different diseases and just see what happens <laughs> that we'll makes sense take care of them totally yeah. a disease cocktail exactly yes. if you will if you will yeah. Oh, I will. And he was hoping that the the <laughs> warm weather would cure it, which is like That's still, what they said about COVID. I was just going to say that. Still a belief. <laughs> I know. So, no, that doesn't work. But, yeah. I, I kind of forgot we were in a pandemic. I know. <laughs> I'm fully vaccinated. I don't give a shit what other people do now. Same. Yeah, I, I got my second vaccine on Friday, and I didn't feel that bad. I was exhausted. That's good. But I did not get a fever. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is the story of the satanic panic of the great... Um, vampire the, panic. Uh, so, yes. Sorry. That's the story <laughs> of the great New England vampire panic. Yes. That was good. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting so, such a good story from them. Yeah. I actually I saw something recently that they like had booby trapped um, like caskets to ensure that the people wouldn't be able to escape oh yeah, yeah i've seen some of those they would put like too. rocks around their head or like a spike above them so that if they like tried to like raise up they would 
impale themselves and like shit like that yeah that's probably why because yes. they thought that people were leaving their graves as a vampire and then going yeah. back to their graves and at night yeah the or like they put a brick in their mouth yeah mm. i've seen those too but that's i think those crazy. are more like ancient like ancient oh, realm and yeah. they did that yeah. but still still yeah very interesting all right, are you ready to hear about a murder? Sure am. Also, another very interesting, it's not, I mean, it is like just run-of-the-mill murder. Um, not in a bad way. <laughs> like, I don't mean it that way, but like, it's, you know, it's a murder story. Um, but there's also a very interesting tidbit at the end. Um, mine All is right. not very long, but my sources for this are Reddit, of course. Um, NBC 10 WJAR, which I am assuming is a local news station, and then SavageWatch.com. Mm-hmm. And this might be the most cheesy opening line I've ever typed, but <laughs> Can't wait. let's just get into it. When you Google the name Kathy Perry, it's like she never existed. Overshadowed by the newest articles highlighting pop star Katy Perry... It's no wonder the victim of a brutal 1986 murder has gone under the radar. That is a classic podcast intro. (laughs) It is. It really do be. Thank you. I'm really hitting my stride here. Yeah. (laughs) Last quarter of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) On September 15th of 1986, Kathy... Perry's naked body was discovered by a truck driver in a dumping ground off Telemore Road in Warwick, Rhode Island. Her white 1979 Mercury Capri was found earlier that day still running with her po- with her pocketbook with $100 in cash in the passenger seat around 4 a.m. on Route 2 over like half a mile away. Um, so they pretty much ruled robbery out very quickly as soon as they found her car before they found her because all of her personal belongings were inside and she still had all that cash Mm. um she had just finished an overnight shift at a bookbinding business on access road around 2 15 a.m she stopped for gas on bald hill road and spoke to the clerk a young woman who recognized perry from high school she was on her way home for some sleep after that work after that very long work day And the best way I can say it is that she was severely beaten to death, said Detective Sergeant Fred Pierce of the Warwick Police Department. The morning after, she would have had hairdressing school. She had a dream of becoming a um, hairdresser. And everyone who was at the school, all um, all of her co-workers, her parents, boyfriend, classmates were all interviewed and all of these interrogations turned into dead ends and then until and it was cold it was literally cold from the moment they found her until 2006 when when detective sergeant fred pierce picked up the trail and he too was looking at these same suspects and was basically running in circles he said it just didn't lead anywhere but Facebook changed everything. Pierce created a Kathy Perry page in 2010, and it quickly sparked up online chatter. And he said, that's exactly what the point was that I wanted to do to have people talk about it. And in 2011, a tip led to a confidential informant who named a suspect. 
He gave me a lengthy statement outlining how Kathy was abducted, where she was taken, how she was murdered, and most importantly, who did it, said Pierce. The suspect was doing a little bit... Wait, what? (laughs) The suspect was doing a (laughs) bit at the ACI, the state prison for felony assault. He also had a rap sheet a mile long, which included assaults against women and murder. He was released in 2012 after more than 20 years in prison, but quickly reoffended in North Providence, said the detective. Pierce paid him a visit and described a game of cat and mouse. The detective quizzed the subject. The, sus- the suspect, in turn, wanted to know more about the police investigation. The suspect knew Kathy. He knew her briefly and may have been trying to date her, said Pierce. Marilyn Perry sat for an interview with the I-team who is the team that is doing this interview at the local um, news station in her tidy West Warwick home, the same house that Kathy was driving to that fateful morning. She remembers her daughter telling her about some guy who had been following her. She said there was a creep in West Warwick on a motorcycle. Pierce's suspect had a motorcycle in 1986, and he also happened to be best friends with Kathy's cousin at the time. So the detective thought... I have my man. I'm confident. Yes, I'm confident we've identified the true perpetrator, said Pierce, who in the same breath said he's also open to receiving new information as well. What? Like he thinks he found it, but he's like, if there's any other info, I'm open to it. Right, but I was like, I don't know. You can't be confident and be like, but. But also tell me. I know. Also. (laughs) The case went to a grand jury, and that's where it's been ever since. Stuck under the administration of former Attorney General Peter Kilmartin. But the case could still move ahead and is prosecutable, said Pierce. And that's pretty much where it is. Um, The case is obviously cold. It's still unsolved. Um, But I did see something really interesting when I was looking at this case. Um, There's really not much of Kathy on the Internet. Um, like that's literally all it is. It's like her, a brief description of her murder, Hmm. but I did also see something interesting. So the Pawtucket police cold case unit partnered with the Rhode Island department of corrections on an initiative to solve cold case homicides and sorry, hold on. I gotta readjust my back starting to hurt to solve cold case homicides and unidentified and missing person cases missing persons cases throughout through the means of using cold case playing cards so in 2018 the Pawtucket police cold case unit obtained federal funding with the assistance of the FBI for the first order of 5,000 decks of playing cards the initial phase of the playing cards features 52 cases that have been selected according to their potential for the highest impact and best suitability standards The application process was open to all law enforcement agencies within the state of Rhode Island in the spring of 2018. The first edition of Playing Cards contains cases supplied by 30 detectives from 19 different law enforcement agencies throughout Rhode Island. The Playing Cards will be primarily distributed within the Department of Corrections to maximize card exposure and success. Further, these will be the only types of cards sold in the commissary, and all proceeds will be used to either order a second series of cards or reorder more decks from a previous series. So, Kathy Perry does have a card in this deck, 
She is the. Hold on, I'll show you. Send you a picture. Let's say I find my phone. She is the Jack of Hearts. That's and what it says. Yeah, and they. I just thought it was cool that they put it in. Um, like all of these. Like all the prisons in Rhode Island. That's such a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Like make them play with them. <laughs> these are the only cards you get. Hi, these yeah. are all these dead people. Look at the people that you've murdered. Look at them. Not Katy Perry, Kathy Perry. You did say that Katy Perry wiped her off the map. <laughs> she really did. Maybe it's a conspiracy. Maybe it is. Yeah, they're trying to bury her. Hmm. That sounds like a job for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sending it to you right now. Her card says, on September 15th, 1986, the victim was abducted while on her way home from work. She was later located deceased in a secluded area behind Arlington Trailer Sales on Quaker Lane in Warwick. Her abandoned vehicle was located a mile and a half away where her body was found. And it says, if you have any info about this case, please call 1-877-RI-SOLVE, which is 1-877-747-6583. And it even has the inmate number on there. Those inmates call 9083. (laughs) Oh, it'd probably yes. be like people hearing other inmates talk. Yeah, exactly. Like rat each other out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's so sad. Yeah, I think, she was yeah, pretty. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really sad. So that is the short story of Kathy Perry. They think they have the guy that did it, but obviously they have to wait for the attorney general to give the go-ahead to prosecute him. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. These well, cards were a good idea, though. They were. They were a good idea. Um, yeah, just, great idea. Just, uh, good, idea. Good job. Just a heads up. Never thought of it. <laughs> we're not going to not be crazy um, after that. It's it's going to, the crazy is going to continue, if you if you will. Oh, yes. Here for the crazy. Uh-oh. Let's go. So, uh, tonight, we are going to be covering the house that inspired The Conjuring. Yes. Uh, my sources this week are bustle.com, only in your state, and history versus hollywood.com. The centuries old farmhouse, located in Harrisville, Rhode Island, has been known by many names over the years, including the Dexter Richardson House, the Old Arnold Estate, and the Old Brook Farm. But these days, it's known mostly as the haunted house that inspired The Conjuring. And now it has new owners. Corey and Jennifer Heinzen bought The Conjuring house, and they say it's just as haunted in real life as you think. Ooh. God, can you imagine? No, I could not. I I wouldn't put myself into that. Okay, I think... The girl whose family owns that is on TikTok. And oh, really? she like yeah. does tours. I've seen that. Interesting. I have not seen that, but that's really interesting. I'll try to find it. When The Conjuring was released in 2013, it was met with critical acclaim. 
Critics everywhere praised it for its all-too-realistic portrayal of the demonic haunting of an innocent family in Rhode Island. Most viewers assumed that the movie was nothing but the wild imagination of director James Wan. However, the true story of The Conjuring is actually rooted in a horrifying true experience of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed Warren was a World War II veteran and a former police officer who became a self-professed demonologist after studying the subject on his own. His wife Lorraine became claimed to be a clairvoyant and medium who was capable of communicating with the demons that Ed discovered. In 1952, Ed and Lorraine founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They quickly gained notoriety as respected paranormal investigators after their initial investigation of the Amityville hauntings. Their two most famous cases, however, were heavily popularized by The Conjuring franchise, a series of movies that focused on Ed and Lorraine's experiences exercising demons from two possessed families. Though the movies seem over-dramatized and impossible to believe, the Warrens maintained that all of the events depicted actually transpired. Though Ed died in 2006, Lorraine was a consultant on the film and claims that she didn't let the directors take any more dramatic license than was necessary. Nevertheless, the true story of The Conjuring remains almost unbelievably chilling to this day. The true story of The Conjuring begins with the first film, which focuses on the Perrin family. In, 19, in January of 1971, the Perrin family moved into a 14-bedroom farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, where Carolyn, Roger, and their five daughters began to notice strange things happening almost immediately after they moved in. It started small. Carolyn would notice that the broom would, went missing or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen when no one was in there. She finds small piles of dirt in the center of her newly cleaned floor. The girls began to notice spirits around the house, though for the most part they were harmless. There were a few, however, that were angry. Carolyn allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had died under mysterious horrible circumstances several of the children had drowned in a nearby creek one was murdered and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic the spirit was depicted in the film as Bathsheba was the worst of them all it turns out there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the parents' property in the mid-1800s. Born Bathsheba Thayer in Rhode Island in 1812, she married fellow Rhode Islander Judson Sherman in Thompson, Connecticut in March 10, on March 10th of 1844. The two were married by Vernon Stiles, a local justice of the peace. Bathsheba filled the role of housewife while her husband, Judson worked as a farmer on their land. Fairly well off, Judson and Bathsheba had a son, Herbert, born when Bathsheba was approximately 70 or 37 years old on 
March in March of 1849. It is possible that they had three other children as well, all of whom had not survived past the age of seven, though no census records could be found to confirm these reports. The family also usually took in a boarder, most likely to help them on the farm. She was rumored to have been a Satanist, and there was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child, though no trial ever took place. She was buried in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to rise off the floor. She claims her family would enter the basement and feel a cold, stinking presence behind them. They often stayed away from the dirt floor cellar, but the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, causing Roger to venture down. Over the 10 years that the family lived in the house, the Warrens made multiple trips to investigate. At one point, Lorraine conducted a seance to attempt to contact the spirits that were possessing the family. During the seance, Carolyn Perrin became possessed, speaking in tongues and raising from the ground in her chair. Andrea claims that she secretly witnessed the seance. She said, I thought I was going to pass out. My mother began to speak in a language not of this world, in a voice not of her own. Her chair levitated, and she was thrown across the room. Though the movie version of the events culminate with Ed performing an exorcism rather than a seance, Lorraine insists that she and her husband would never attempt one, as they must be performed by Catholic priests. After the seance, Roger kicked the warrants out, worried about his wife's mental stability. According to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980, at which point the spirits were silenced and the hauntings had ceased. The Heinsons are paranormal enthusiasts themselves, the ones that live there today. Corey Heinsen, a former Marine who grew up in western Maine, was a, had been an investigator allegedly haunted locations from for about a decade. Wow, I really messed that up. Um, by day, he and Jennifer have been fixing the house up. Eventually, they hope to open it to the public for tours. The house doesn't look like it does in the movie, by the way. The film was shot in North Carolina. And according to Corey Heinsen, so far he and Jennifer have experienced doors open on their own, footsteps, disembodied voices, electronic voice phenomena, and some awesome spirit box sessions. Heinsen has also said they have heard some knocking sounds, which are commonly cited as evidence of alleged haunting. He said, I don't have the feeling of anything evil but it's very busy. You can tell there's a lot of things going on in the house. Of course, the potential identity that sometimes pegged to the that is sometimes pegged to the alleged spirit these days might not be accurate either. According to the Providence Journal, some now believed that the spirits might be Mrs. Johnson, Mrs. John Arnold, who died by suicide in the farm's barn in the 18th century. However, according to a number of historians, the only Mrs. John Arnold known to have died in such a way in Harrisville passed away in 1866, which is the 19th century. 
and in her own home about a mile away, not the parents' former home. Parents, sorry. Not everyone believes what the parents and the Warrens say happened inside the house. The Warrens, as well as well known as they are, remain controversial even within the paranormal community. The jury's still out on whether the house is truly haunted or not, as well as whether such things as hauntings even exist in the first place. What's more, when it comes to ghosts, it's hard to change it's hard to change anyone's mind about them, whether you believe in them or not. According to a study from 2002, for example, People who said they already believed in ghosts were significantly more likely to report paranormal experiences than those who said they didn't when touring an allegedly haunted location. A lot of it has to do with confirmation bias. If you already believe in ghosts, you're more likely to interpret new information as supporting your belief in that ghosts exist, whereas... If you're a skeptic, you're most likely to interpret new information as supporting your belief that ghosts don't exist. Is it possible that the Heinsons are interpreting strange noises and doors opening and closing as paranormal because they already believe in the paranormal? Sure. Is it possible that skeptics who look at what the Heinsons say they've experienced and go, eh, it's an old house... It probably just it's probably just the foundation settling and interpreting those same noises and doors opening and closing as just plain normal because they expressly don't believe in the paranormal. Again, sure. Even so, though, there's no denying the historic appeal of the Dexter Richardson house slash the old Arnold estate slash old Brook Farm slash the Conjuring house. Whether you look at ghosts as entertaining fictions or the real phenomenon, and if the Heinsons do eventually manage to open the place for tours, you better believe that I'm going to go check it out. And that's the story of The Conjuring House, or the old Brook Farm, or the old Arnold Estate, whatever you want to call it. That's so spooky. Just everything that you just said. Yeah, you could not pay me enough to live there. I would never. I wouldn't live, live there, there, but I would definitely want to go see it. Yeah, especially since maybe from the outside. Yeah, the fact that they don't think it's evil. Oh, I'm going like, in. Like makes me. Feel <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just like a spirit party house. Like there's just parties going on all the time. Yes. <laughs> like they said, it's really busy. <laughs> I mean, fourteen rooms. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember the girl. Did you find the girl on TikTok that supposedly lives there? Oh, I didn't look. <laughs> Just she send did. it to us later. Yeah, I saw like... I, th- I think I I probably sent it to you guys before, but I'll go look. I think so. Probably. I think she shows like the, the basement. Yeah. The, like dirt basement. And Spooky. she's like, yes, it is creepy. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Well... Well, turns out Rhode Island is hella spooky. Yeah, they've got a lot of spooks crammed into that tiny, tiny state. <laughs> they really do. State. The we don't that um, conjuring house is like a fourth of the state. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Honestly, when we d- well, since we've already done two houses that the Warrens have investigated, once we do international, we're gonna have to do the infield poltergeist house. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We definitely okay. have to do twist my arm. <laughs> twist my arm. We've already done two of their three famous cases. Let's just do all three of them. Yes. Yes. We gotta. Yeah, that was a good story. Thank you. Well, if you're looking for more good stories, um, if you're listening to us right now, then you probably already know where to find them and you've decided your preferred choice to listen to them. But if you're trying to get your friends to join our little MLM thing that we've got going on here, um, (laughs) our little cult, if you will. um, A little less girl bossy, though. A little more spooky. (laughs) We'll never hey girl you. No. Yeah. No. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Tipsy Ghouls Podcast, Twitter at Tipsy Ghouls Pod, or email us. I'm going to start that over because I just burped. Or you could email us at Tipsy Ghouls Podcast at gmail.com with any of your stories, comments, or concerns. Or if you just want to say, hey, shoot us an email or slide into our DMs. Uh, you can also find our stickers that is our only merchandise that we currently have sorry about it but they are $3.99 on our etsy page and they're not stickers they're buttons um (laughs) yes so there's also that (laughs) and they're not stickers (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it's late i'm tired it's not even late it's not even late it's nine it's nine o'clock um, but yeah, if you love us, oh yeah, another thing, if you love us and you want us to keep going, if you want us to know that you love us, um, the best thing you could do for us is, uh, give us a rate and review on Apple podcast to let us know yes. that you're listening. Um, because that's how we get that information. <sighs> and yeah. if you want to join us for next week's episode, we are on. South Carolina. Oh, okay. Into the S's. We only have 16 states left, y'all. We're really cranking it out. Well, I mean, we have been doing this for over a year now. It doesn't feel like (laughs) it. It does not feel like it's been a year. Yeah. I know. Feels like it's been three. (laughs) I'm just kidding. LOL. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, we'll never. Just kidding with you. From what you said earlier, we'll never hey girl you. But we might hey ghoul you. Hey ghoul. <laughs> hey ghoul, friend. Long time no see. Hey ghoul. Have you ever wanted to join a cult? <laughs> What's happening? Also? All right. Um, <laughs> you look scared. You... I just heard something. I could tell that was your. I just heard like... a ghost face. <laughs> Remember, confirmation bias. <laughs> it's just your brain talking. It's just my ma- imagination. <laughs> if well, it was something, the dog would be like, ah. yeah, The dog's know. laying That's on true. the bed right now. Perfect. That's true. The dog would be. Yeah. Jay chilling. Jay chilling. All right, you Rhode Island ratchets. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to close out this episode? Yes. Yes. All right, until next time. Is it a pandemic or is it just a familial vampire that needs to be burned? Hmm. Um, next time you're in jail, check out your uh, playing cards. They might have some valuable information on them for you for an early sentence. 
next time you're in jail. Wink. <laughs> and if anybody wants to visit the Conjuring House with me, hit me up. Let me know. Yes. Let's go. I'm going. We have so many places we need to go on a road trip after we finish. Literally. We'll all just get jobs we can work remote and then go. Perfect. All right. And remember... Question everything. everything. Goodbye. 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 Bye. See y'all later. Peace out. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings.